Hello, everybody, and welcome back to New Books in African American Studies, a podcast channel on the New Books Network. I'm Adrienne King, the co-host of the channel. Today, we'll be talking to Lady Dane Figueroa Aditi about her book, For Black Trans Girls Who Gotta Cuss a Motherfucker Out When Snatching an Edge Ain't Enough. Welcome to the show. Hey, thank you for having me, love. Thanks for having me on. Yes, um, I enjoyed this so much, and so I'm just so pumped to talk about it today. Um, can you start us off by telling us a little bit about yourself? Um, and then I know you do all kinds of things. Um, so tell us about you and the kinds of work that you do. Oh, God. So um, I'm Lady Dane Figueroa Aditi. Hey, everybody. Um, I am originally from Baltimore, uh, Maryland, and um, I now call DC home. Uh, what can I gosh about me? So I'm an author. I have 12 books published uh, for Black Trans Girls is my, I believe it's my 11th book of the 12. Um, my first book was published in 2013, Yamaya's Daughter. That made me the first uh, trans woman of color in D.C. to publish a work of fiction. Um, and that was a book of fiction, obviously. I am an advocate. Um, I am... A writer. I'm a playwright. Uh, uh, Theater Alliance over in um, Anacostia actually gave me my first world premiere of my play, Clytemnestra, an Epic Slam poem. It's a one woman show with a drummer. Um, so there's two actresses on stage, uh, and one is the drum, plays the spirit of the drummer, and the other plays Clytemnestra, her sister, her mama, and her kids. Um, and then, oh gosh, so many things. And then I'm also, I know I'm like, Whoa. I'm an educator. I do a lot of um, workshops around um, uh, solidarity work, equity, gender equity. Um, and I have a series of collaborators that I often work with. Um, one of my favorite collaborators is Jay Mace III. And he and I are both co-editors on the Black Trans Prayer Book. Um, which will be coming out next year. Um, I already said author. I'm a singer. I'm a dancer. I'm an actress um, and a choreographer. And so I, um, my choreography, I have been nominated for a Helen Hayes Award, which is like the DC Tonys, um, if anyone's familiar with the Tonys. Um, I've been nominated twice um, for work that I did in uh, plays, pieces, um, that were directed by another one of my favorite collaborators, Timothy Douglas. So, oh my goodness, I think I think that that is, and, and I'm a healer too. I do a lot of healing, a lot of healing work, um, specifically uh, for the community. And I and I see my I see my writing and my and all of the work that I do as uh, healing work. Yep. <laughs> Yes, that's amazing. Yay. Um, Go you. Yes. Um, So can you tell us about um, maybe like when you started writing and what's your relationship to um, maybe like playwriting and poetry looks like in particular? Yeah, I started writing when I was a child. I was very, very young. You know, I come from a family of artists, um, a family of uh, amazing artists. Uh, and my aunt, my aunt Liz uh, Figaro, she was the first person to graduate from college in my family. She was a singer. She was a um, advocate. She was also an academic. She was the first, one of the first curators of the Great Blacks and Wax Museum in Baltimore. So um, I grew up 
like seeing these monuments black people into black culture and to um, our glory, right? And then also I got to also see the truth, right? The truth of the harm that was done to us as well. Um, the museum holds nothing back. So um, I, you know, my mom uh, and my and my trans auntie, Jimmy, they would you know, take me out to see shows. My aunt was a, was a famous jazz singer. Her and her husband used to work up and down, um, up and down the East Coast, my aunt Liz. And then um, all of my other aunts or my cousins, even when they did work that wasn't necessarily in the arts, um, because my grandfather, who passed away before I was born, he was um, he played guitar and music was so part of his life that um, he really gave that love of music to the rest of my family. So even members of my family who aren't in the arts, they still have some relationship to art. Mm-hmm. Wow, um, that's amazing. Um, that's an awesome family just tradition and legacy. Um, can you tell us about um, how you came to write um, for Black trans girls in particular? Um, for Black trans girls, oh gosh, I've, you know it's it's so funny because I've been you know I've been doing the play version of it, which is a which is a, a shorter script, a more edited script than the one that is the book that's published, right? The book of poetry. Um, but I began. You know, I began thinking about it very when I was very young. I think that you can't be, um, you can't be a black or even maybe a brown person born in the eighties or the early nineties and not know for color girls, right? <laughs> like it, you you either have seen it, you either have had to read it in school, or you know somebody else who did it, right? Who did the play version of it? And when growing up in the eighties, like all, all of these. Um, amazing seasoned black actresses that we know now, mostly all of them have done a version of For Color Girls. <laughs> so I was deeply inspired by Ntsake's work. Um, and I should say Ancestor, right? Ancestor Ntsake's, uh, Shange's work. And um, it, 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 for me, as, as we continue to expand and we continue to evolve, you know, I always say to people, I say without her work, um, without her work, we really wouldn't have hip hop theater, right? And so you know, people who are, who are all about Broadway, I'm like, well, without hip hop, without hip hop theater, we wouldn't ever have a Lin-Manuel. Um, so that, so that, that, um, you know, comes from black and brown folks, which which finds its which finds heart really in the choreo poem. And she is the choreo poem. And so um that's number one, right? That's that's my that's my history with that piece. And as we grow and we expand in our conversations around gender, sexuality, mental health, um healing, community continue to expand as as our awareness expands. Um, I think that we are having some of those conversations differently now. Um, And as a Black trans woman, it is deeply important for me to um, center and celebrate the most vulnerable and the most marginalized in our communities. And so a lot of my work really, really, really is about centering and celebrating Black women. Um, And this piece especially is about Black trans women. because how often, I mean, we could probably name on one hand how many Black trans women have been in for color girls, have been casting for color girls. And so thinking of this 
book of poetry as not simply a book of poetry, right, but actually a script, a theatrical script that could be staged with actresses. Um, it is it is implicit that the four actresses that we see on stage when the piece is staged are all Black trans women. Um, I wanted to really also give an opportunity to um, Black trans actresses who were brilliant um, to also shine and be seen and be centered in our stories to be celebrated um, uh, in conversation, right, with our Blackness and our womanhood and our transness and, and class and race and, and the history of the world and all of these things. Um, and on top of that, the book itself, you know, the book is, is about 20 bucks for a copy. I saw so many black and brown trans people, uh, brilliant, brilliant, right? Um, Not being able to pay their bills and constantly having to do GoFundMes to pay their bills. And, um, you know, I got to pay my dues. So I was like, how do I use my art to also be able to pour back into my community? So each month, each book that is sold, $2 from each book that's sold is tallied up at the end of the month, the beginning of the next month. It is distributed to the community who need it. So it goes to survival funds. Um, Yeah, so that was, all of those things were really my inspiration. I think that the world itself, um, you know, thinking, uh, I think that you cannot separate Black people from politics. I think it is impossible to be a Black person and to not somehow um, understand that who you are, your very existence, political. Because there was a system, there is a system in place that that does not honor, love, respect, or see Black people as women or deserving of life or liberty. And so um, for me, um, as someone who is also a political commentator, I witnessed a Black and Brown trans women um, be on the Hill advocating during the Obama administration for people to wake up. You know, I think that people got lazy during the Obama administration. I think they lulled, you know, they became lawful. Um, and they didn't really take seriously the threat of white supremacy. And so everyone set up the world, right? They set up the world to believe somehow Hillary Clinton was going to be the next president. And everything they did uh, was about, you know, don't push too, don't be too combative, don't don't demand this, don't demand that. You know, I would hear things like, you got to give credit where credit is due. Be grateful for the little bit that you have. At least you got that. The girls in the 50s and 40s didn't have that. You know, I heard these things. And I watched as Black and Brown trans women were saying, wake up. There is a world that you do not see because you are in places of access and privilege. And you think that blow, you know, Nina Simone and her piece, Mississippi Goddamn, she says, that's just the trouble. You go too slow, right? You keep saying go slow, but here we are. And so I watched us pushing back and saying, y'all, we must dismantle white supremacy. That is is the problem. And them saying, no, it's this, it's this, let's put bandages on this. We don't want to, we don't want to fight people too much because then they don't, then they won't want to hear how you have to, what you want to say. And now here we are, 
we have we have a violent uh, white supremacist orange person in the White House. And I believe part of that is because people didn't listen to what black and brown people were trying to tell us about liberation. So I got angry in 2017. I got angry because I would also watch the media not want to call this man a racist and say, oh, well, he, he does racist things, but we don't want to call him a racist. And I was like, this is the issue. This is the issue. When we, when we center white people's feelings over black and brown lives, we get genocide. Slow or quick, right? Slow or quick. And so I wrote this piece because, you know, snatching an edge for me, something about snatching an edge to me feels cute. It feels cute, right? It's like, oh, you read, you snatched that edge, work, work. But cussing a motherfucker out? Something about that takes me to the streets of Baltimore. And it's raw, it is electric, and there is no mistaking. I said what the fuck I said. So I thought about, I thought about like, one, that the, that the book itself, anyone can get anything from it. Because I believe when we don't center white people in our work, white people actually learn more. That we must center, we must center black people when you're a black person, right? Centering blackness and centering black people in your work, one, it, it, it reaffirms you. It, it, it reaffirms the it reaffirms that your voice, your life, your being is important. It also gives a gift to your community and being able to experience themselves fully through literature. And it also holds the mirror to everyone who's reading it, and that is including white people. And it asks all who's partaking in the art to really be in conversation with our own complacency, complicity, and, and, and a need for us to heal and oppressive systems internally. So the piece, you know, for Black trans girls, that's the shorthand of it. But then it is, it is also for the Black trans women who we often don't think are worthy of our love or affection or attention or our time. So even for those Black trans women who who people like to call troublemakers, it is also for them too. That was my reason for writing it. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, I was wondering if you could read one of the opening poems, and I, this is a perfect segue, if you could read the poem titled for Black trans girls. Yes. Of course, of course. Okay. Here we go. <laughs> This is the prologue, All Beginnings Have a Before, for Black trans girls. This book be war cry, be love, let her be rage, be love. This book be battle scar, be cautionary tale, be hero's journey, be holy hymn. This book be healing balm, be medicine woman pouch, be bad bitch bitterness, be fresh fish tease, be realness, be face be. This book for black trans girls, black trans women, gender non-conforming, non-binary, ghetto, bougie, bruja, banshee, bitch, queen, goddess, hoe, priestess, two-spirit, read marsh, trans woman. This book for black trans girls who ain't got no cash but gotta sell that ass cause rent is due. This. This book for black trans girls who ain't got no daddy cause he ain't shit. Ain't got no mama cause she ain't shit too. Who had to give them family of choice cause family of blood put them through this. This book 
for black trans girls who had all the estradiol, the thrills, to chill the fuck out when the climate was burdensome and the block got hot. For black trans girls that lay safe in her family bosom and ain't never no pain or the disdain of her community in her heart. This book is a sacred tone. This book for black trans girls who've been raped by their daddies, by their mamas, by their sisters, by their brothers, by them friends, by the men who claim to love you or hate you or need you or be here for you by system, by police, by capitalism, by the dreams of white cis men. This, this book for black trans girls who smart as shit, who dumb as bricks, who got their good, good education, who ain't got no education. Shit. This book for the bookworm and the street smart chick. This book for black trans girls who worship goddess, who worship God, who don't believe in neither, who believe in them all, who worship black, who pray ancestor magic back, whose spirituality is dope, who woke as fuck for the yups and the yes and the nopes. This, this book for black trans girls who like to fuck, who like to fuck, who like to fuck and who don't like to fuck at all at fucking all. This book for black trans girls who make art and make art of love and work that nine to five and like comics and be a nerd and black trans girls who like the blessed tree. This book, baby, for girls like you and me. This book for black trans girls who disabled and don't do labels and ain't here for your ableist shit. This. This book for black trans girls who grow up to be black trans women, but advocacy groups don't care about you no more because they can't pimp your story out to get legislation passed. This book for the black trans girls who they say won't make it past 35. This book for the girls dead and alive. This book for black trans girls who black trans goddesses who magical muses, misfits, and chooses her own joy over the sorrow of this world. This. This book for black trans girls who considered suicide when the rainbow ain't never been enough. This book for black trans girls who got a cuss a motherfucker out when snatching an edge ain't enough because our bitch tried it and want to know how tough you are because you wish a motherfucker would because you have hymns and songs and love poems written in the praise of your name. Sisters, what a shame this world be basic as shit. This book here is for black trans girls. Black trans girls, black trans girls, women are dead and are living who ain't got no name, who got 50, who was never called trans, who fought the power and danced the hours, who lived here many lifetimes, who can bind the bounty beautiful that is being for black trans girls who run the motherfucking world. This, sisters, is for us. This is for us. This is for us, you, I, we, beautiful, dark, bright children of night, sisters of morning light. We be everything. Great. Thank you so much for reading that. Um, thank you. Um, I want to take a little bit of a shift, but I think that this is really um, a key theme in your book. So um, on page 53, you write, Science ain't always our friend, and religion ain't always our enemy. Um, can you talk a little bit about what that statement means, um, why you wrote it, and maybe even connect to kind of larger themes of spirituality within your work? Yeah, I think you know, I that I think that that you know that piece comes in um, a jazz singer who gets a boob job. <laughs> Um, what that means for me is, is that when you look at any indigenous culture around the world, pre, uh, patriarchy, pre colonization, 
Um, we see that uh, what we would now consider LGBTQ folks were celebrated, right? They had spiritual purpose and that the spiritual, um, the spiritual relationship between humankind and the ethereal realm, the heavens, was about, um, was about expansiveness as opposed to limitation. And so um, <clears throat> in places like Sumar, for example, when I talk about the people of the Reef Marsh, the goddess Anana, um, <clears throat> they say that she gave spiritual vocation, she gave spiritual purpose to what we would now call trans people within temples. And so in temples, in sacred spaces, trans people were, were celebrated, were centered, were loved. And, and that gods themselves um, ordained them holy. Um, when we think about, um, when I think about the relationship between us as Black um, and or brown people with science, um, I think that science is, it, it, science was also, right, never supposed to be this thing that, um, that was supposed to limit us. <clears throat> and what I mean by that is, is that so many people have these stupid, stupid, stupid ways of engaging trans people in which they try to use science as a means of um, being transphobic, right? And they try to use science as their backup. But also we as Black and Brown people cannot ignore the violent history of, of our relationship with Western science. That oftentimes uh, scientists or doctors would use the bodies of Black and Brown people or the lives of Black and Brown people um, and, 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 you know, do acts of violence to us um, to um, come to some scientific conclusion. Um, and that, you know, there is a piece in the book called What the Doctor Said, right? And, 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 and that science was used um, as a means to justify um, enslaving Black and Brown people at a certain time in history. And so that our idea of who we are um, cannot be tied to an external source. Our idea of who we are is found within ancient in an ancient text, I believe, um, in which people may not necessarily knew how to break down um, that this is this molecule here, or this is this molecule here. But the great wisdom that they had had so much truth in it that the science is now coming back to those same conclusions that oftentimes our ancestors knew the truth of. One of those things, right, is that like everything was water at one point in time. When you look at the stories of the Yoruba people and you look at the Patakis, it talks about we all, it was all, everything was covered in water at once. And we all came from that. Now science has proven that that, right, that that is, it, it has affirmed that. So, so when I talk about like, you know, I, I think that we all have to understand that like, we are all worthy and deserving of love and affirmation. And that when there are things in your life that, that, um, want to, uh, 
want to justify violence, <laughs> you know, wants to justify um, the anti-trans violence, that we must reject those things and understand that even religion and even science come from a place of bias because it comes from humans themselves um, are entering the world and are interacting with the world their own um, ideas of who they are. And so in my piece, Yamaya's Daughters, um, which Miriam, the mother of Jesus, uh, character, uh, she says to someone or someone says to her that although the prophet sees through the eyes of God, it does not necessarily mean that the prophet understands all she sees, which means that um, we have to start from a place of we are all worthy and deserving of love, affirmation, and to be exactly who we know ourselves mm-hmm. to be. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes. Does that yes. make sense? Yes. Um, this is awesome. This is so <laughs> great. I love this. Um, um, that's wonderful. Um, I was wondering next if you could read um, the poem, um, a history lesson, and then um, talk a little bit about the poem. Woo! Okay, cha. Uh, <laughs> what page is that on? Let me, okay, that's on page 77. All right now. Okay. All righty, here we go. <clears throat> this is interlude two, history lesson. If you, um, saints, if you would like to your uh, page 77 in your Bibles, I'm kidding. <laughs> that's if anyone has the book and they want to read along, but... Um, And so I I would like to say before I read this piece, though, that this piece is always paired with um, a piece called Man of War. And that piece is about a woman who is trans married to a man who is trans and he is a soldier in the army Um, and he goes off to war and he dies and she... um, she is resentful for that because she comes from a family of men who um, have gone to war and war has affected them negatively. And she says, this country doesn't even, doesn't even love us, Black people, and especially doesn't love us trans people and you're willing to die for it. Why? So in the scripted, in the stage version of this piece, um, Red Bone Woman begins to sing a little bit of the national anthem and they're at the funeral for this this black trans man, mm. Hugh is his name in the piece, who has died for uh, for his country. Um, and this is the eulogy. Give you some context <laughs> that <laughs> that the character of Dee Dee gives at the funeral. Great. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Someone once told me not all the founding fathers were bad, as if offering absolution to violent white men was ever my life's calling. They got a whole system that makes excuses for their abuses. I won't be its mouthpiece. I won't be its magical Negro. I won't be its crucified Christ. History lesson. In 1442, a white man, dumbfounded, smelling like shit, lands on sacred ground, found gods there, called them savage. White man plants flags on Edens and demands even myths become his playthings. But God listens to the gods and thought himself right. You call him Columbus. I call him dumbass, dirty white man who smelled the shit he slept in the night before. You see... White men want even their God to beg on his knees, utilize heaven for justifying their making earth hell. In their hands, God becomes a rapist and a Mary becomes nothing more than the first recorded case of Stockholm Syndrome. Before that, 
Europe, once Europa, once knew what rape feels like when Zeus devoured her womanhood and made the rivers within her become cold. So, angry Europe, abandoned her blackness to pale petitions of whiteness and the seeds wrought in her womb forgot the lyrics to the psalms black mother once sang, became etchings of the African grandmother womb by whom Europa's own milk still drinks. After then, White men, with musket and biblical texts, decimated grandmothers, destabilized economies, called it scientific fact, called it the modern age, called it the American way. Grandmother Africa still groans, weeps tears of blood, a bountiful of riches she births, riches that her children pay as tribute to now skin-bleached Europe, who spreads white supremacy, and call it missionary work, who call it law. Even after black folk fought for freedom, became affluent at deed, but spoke in tongues white folk couldn't comprehend, bootstraps they were pulled up from by their own hands, white men, destructive gnats, come birthing genocide on U.S. soil, their DNA recalling when their ancestors killed indigenous poor, Tulsa burns down, black bodies in mass graves, white men remember when they made a trail of tears, bleed lives, oh, how white men know how to kill, displace, erase, and feign absolution. Before then, your duration of independence called me and mine savages. Now, someone say, not all the founding fathers were bad. And I say, allowing slavery is the same as enslaving. Allowing rape is the same as being a rapist. Allowing the genocide of First Nations people is the same as killing them. Allowing evil is its own form of participating in it. There are already laws to excuse the evils of white men. History books that pretend away their violence. White women who look the way a system of death and destruction that reinforces them. No, I have no more for these opposed founding fathers. Or the white men who have decimated the people, who have decimated this land. You can have them in their ills. For my linguistic defenses are needed for the people whose lives they destroy. Thank you so much for reading um, that poem as well. Thank, thank you for reading on this podcast. Um, I was wondering maybe if you could share a little <laughs> bit about like why you wrote that poem. Or maybe if there was a moment <laughs> that you were like, these people don't know. I want to let them know. Or kind of, yeah. Where did that come from? Well, I think that we, I think that, I, I, I think that... <sighs> Several things, right? Several, several, several things. We cannot extract transphobia from white supremacy, from, 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 from part of the roots of transphobia as we experience it here in the United States um, is linked to white supremacy. Meaning that colonizers came here and saw what we would call, what we would consider trans and gender non-conforming folks, LGBTQ folks even, and colonizers um, chose to specifically attempt to, um, within their act of genocide, uh, specifically target what we would now call trans and gender non-conforming folks. Um, and, and so to have a conversation in which we do not understand the, uh, that, that transphobia and racism must be talked about together when we talk about liberation, 
They must. Um, in order to propel us forward um, and uh, to not understand that white supremacy is the greatest enemy of humankind that has ever, ever existed in the mythos, pathos, um, ideologies of being, that it is the greatest enemy, um, is also adds to uh, the enemy being able to do harm to us. I think that sometimes <clears throat> there are certain communities who would want for me as a black trans woman to separate somehow into compartments my blackness, my transness, and my womanhood. And you cannot. I am all of me all the time moving through the world at all times. Which means that all of us got to get free. Every black person, every trans person. And there is no liberation without everybody being liberated. So history lesson to me is really about talking about the role of whiteness in transphobia and the historical role of that. There, you know, history lesson to me is one of those echoing pieces or is the prelude to a piece later that's called um, Calling In When Cis Black Women Suffer Amnesia. Because there's this conversation about the violence that white people have done to black people. And that part of that violence is by forcing on, part of that violence is forcing onto us transphobia and homophobia. Um, And that I truly believe that when we dismantle white supremacy, we are also part of that, part of that dismantling that happens is also the dismantling of transphobia um, and homophobia, right? Because um, not all trans people are straight. Some trans people are also bi or identify as queer or identify as gay. So that piece was really about that for me. It was about um, also holding white people accountable for their complicity and their complacency and their erasure of black and brown people from history. It also is a nod to the fact that everybody comes from Africa and, and then far back in our history that it was Africa that was the first. When we, when we find the indigenous folks of Europe they all had dark skin. Why is that? Because everybody came from Africa. Uh, <laughs> so, so, you know, my, my, piece, my pieces also hold these mythological components. I wanted to frame that component of, like, Europe once being a Black place within the context of, of um, the greatest mythology that has come from, or the greatest stories, I should say, because for many people, Zeus is real, right? The greatest stories that have come from um, Europe. And those would be considered from, from many people, the Greek, the Greeks, the Greek stories. Um, and so I never want anyone. I also, you know, I don't want, I also am not invested in um, white trans people ever realizing that they have white privilege. And that their fight, their reckoning 
the reckoning that needs to happen is with their whiteness. <laughs> Mostly. Because when I think about recently when, um, I think it might have been the Methodist church when um, I saw on someone's Facebook, they were like, oh, they didn't want to allow LGBTQ people to be a part of their church. And someone was like, oh, it was the African churches. And I was like, well, who brought homophobia and transphobia to Africa? (laughs) It was colonizers. White people brought that. So until white people are ready to get rid of their white privilege, to dismantle white supremacy, and to have a confrontation with their internalized white supremacy, which is a system of oppression that continues to privilege and prioritize white what are we doing here? What are we doing? So all of that is wrapped up in that piece for me. (laughs) So this is a perfect segue. And in fact, I'm just going to skip a whole question because this just segues to this so well. But um, so you talk about accountability um, in your work. Um, so I guess first, can you talk about who you hold accountable? I mean, in this piece, but maybe in particular in this piece, but maybe at large too, and talk about like what that accountability is and what it looks like. So everyone is held accountable and, and for black trans girls, no one's spared really. Um, (laughs) black cis men are held accountable White cis men are held accountable. Um, white cis gay men are held accountable. <laughs> um, people are held accountable. Black cis women are held accountable. And even the, even the reader herself, right? Even, even the writer herself, herself, right, is also held accountable in the work. So each piece to me is really about, um, it is about, healing first and foremost but at the root of healing um is accountability so i think everyone's held accountable in the work um white cis women are held accountable um the 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 um <laughs> the ways in which the which we criminalize black and brown bodies um, and, and we don't see Black children or Black people as innocent um, or deserving of the ability to be able to make mistakes, but we continue to allow white people to over and over again um, comes up in the work. Um, when I think about being a child of the 80s, right, and how um, there, you know, Reagan had this pretend war on drugs. It wasn't real. Um, and, and he got in bed with banks. And the 1% really threw the American people under the bus, um, how he ignored the AIDS crisis in the 80s. Um, I wrote this, you know, this one piece called Becky with a White Line, right? That talked about um, what we would call, what we would call people who are addicted to um, cocaine. Because... And it says, it says, oh, you don't think you're a crackhead, Becky, because you do coke? Well, guess what? You're a motherfucking crackhead. So it's like, um, I hold the rich accountable and the poor. But sometimes it looks differently, right? The Bible says, to whom much is given, much is required. So I demand people who have more access and more resources and more wealth and all of these things to do more. 
holding someone who is poor accountable, it is about recognizing that there are systems of oppression, that when you join with other people who are oppressed for fighting for a collective liberation, that is how we win. Not by becoming the abuser. That isn't winning. It is by being in community and being willing to heal and be held accountable. And that's across the board, of course, right? But, but people who have more access are, are demanded to do more because they benefit more from the oppression of other people. Um, and on page 131, you write, we must love each other in new, ancient, and radical ways. Um, and that comes when, like, in a piece that's in conversation with accountability. Can you um, expand on that some more and, and, and tie it into what you were saying? Oh, gosh. I think that that actually, I think I wrote that maybe a while ago for a Facebook status about abuser dynamics. And that was like, that was like my, like, you know, get your shit together. We got to love each other, right? Like, we have to love each other in new, ancient, and radical ways. What I mean is, is that um, I think that we first must ask each other the question, what do you mean when you mean community? Because for some people, Community is just reconstructed abuser dynamics, which means that someone can be abusive to you and you, right, simply go, okay, I'll give you my forgiveness, but the forgiveness isn't really forgiveness. It is really an allowance for them to be abusive again without ever having to take accountability for the way that they're abusive. And so when I say new, ancient, and radical ways is that I mean that healing must be at the forefront of every piece of work, every piece of legislative legislation, every piece of social justice work, everything must be about healing. And in partnership and in relationship with accountability. And that that is love. Love is about when I hurt you. I am willing, I am willing to do the work that it requires, no matter how uncomfortable it is, no matter how uncomfortable it makes me, none of those things. I am willing to do the work to be able to be in community with you because I love you. And so sometimes that means somebody having to say, I didn't like the way you said that to me because that felt like this. And I didn't like um, that when this person was being abusive, you didn't exist in solidarity with me and also hold this person accountable. Instead, you threw me under the bus. So what is our role? What is our role in the oppression of others? And how do we understand that accountability is rooted in love? It is not rooted in revenge or retribution. It is in a desire to restore us to community. So people can't just go around just doing all willy-nilly things and harming people and doing harm and never being held accountable. We've tried that and it hasn't worked. How many times do you simply just got to get over it? And you're like, okay, okay, I'll get over it, but why is he still coming around? Why is he have access to you and by virtue of having access to you, to me? 
because he ain't changed. He ain't different than he was two years ago. And what is that about? So what we see as forgiveness, what we see as what we see as uh, as sometimes love or community has been skewed by abuser dynamics. And these abuser dynamics um, have come because we've had to have coping mechanisms in order to exist in a system that continues to want to kill us. And those were taught to us by white people who told us that that we as black and brown people said to us that somehow it told us that we never deserved for white people to be accountable. And so if we live in a system of white supremacy that is a hierarchy, right, that puts white cis het men at the top, and everyone is supposed to be imitating that, then why do you think that your uncle who is lower on the totem pole who was told to be like this white cis het man in this system of white supremacy would ever want to be accountable to you who's lower on this on 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 this on this hierarchy of of white supremacist prior privilege and and priority so part of part of the book is asking us to rec- place it all where it's supposed to be, that there are individuals that have to be held accountable and then there is a system that has to be dismantled. And in order for us to move forward, both of those things have to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And we're going to leave the end. We'll, we won't talk about the content of the book anymore, because what we want folks to do is buy this book buy this um can you tell us what's next maybe first tell us what's next for this work i know you just had a reading of it um yeah what's the future of for black trans girls oh gosh so as 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 anyone knows that the piece is also a script right and so right now my my deepest desire is to is to have a full production of the work i believe (laughs) <laughs> I believe that I believe that theater has to be experienced fully in order to be able to experience it fully. And um, in relationship with uh, Wooly Mammoth, I would love to get have a reading in LA, um, and also a reading of it in Chicago. Um, my friend uh, Bob and I are still, you know are still wanting to, part of it is that I think that this piece is not simply a moment. I do not believe that this piece is just a theatrical script. I believe it's supposed to be a movement and that's what it's, it was made for. And so I would love to actually have the work being read by Black trans women getting paid to read the work all across the country and all different types of Black communities. Uh, black trans communities specifically, black and brown trans communities. Um, so all of those things is what I want for the future of, of this particular work. What I'm working on, um, I'm currently working on like five books. <laughs> um, 
you know, I have the Ghetto Goddess. I have the Ghetto Goddess series, which um, encompasses two. It encompasses novels and novellas, and the novellas are still happening. It's about a witch, a witch, a trans witch detective in DC and her agency of supernatural fixers. Um, and so that's still ongoing. It's on book five. It's on book five now. Um, so you can find her adventures there. Um, I'm working on a book called The Anthem of Trees, which I'm doing a lot. I have to do a lot more research for because it's it spans three generations of Black women who own a plantation house. And so you learn, yeah, you uh, the the ancestor her their story takes the um during the Civil War period, and then the present day is for these other three sisters. Um, and so I'm doing a lot of research around, um, that particular era. I have, um, I am working on another book called She of the Fallen Stars, and it it takes place in the future. And it is about, um, these trans people called star singers. And they're called star singers for a very specific reason, because they do a very specific job for the earth, um, in the year 4,000. Um, and what else? Oh gosh. And still working on, you know, the infrastructure of a nation that is about these past just three of the U S and, 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 and how we must dismantle white supremacy. Um, and now we're on a book, still working on my book of personal essays called, um, who will revere the black trans woman. So yes, those are some writing projects that I'm working on. <laughs> Um, that's great. Um, so many of those sound so actually they all do. They sound so exciting. Um, can you tell us if listeners want to follow your work, they want to buy a copy of for black trans girls, where, where can they go? Where can they follow you? Please go to my website at ladydanefe.com. That is L A D Y D A N E F E dot com uh you know f is in figueroa e is in a d um and you can there are tabs so you can like look at the novels or you can look at the books of poetry and um you could buy you know my dream for black trans girls is to one day be at least selling um a hundred copies every month of this book i'd love to sell at least 100 million copies of for black trans girls the book um Partially, too, because that money would really, I mean, $2 from that is what, right? That could help so many people in our community. Um, And so, yes, please buy my books. And if you like witches, you know, check out the Ghetto Goddess series. That's Brew, Keeper, Incarnate. Um, Or you can look, you know, if you like detective stuff and and mysteries, you can check out um, the C. Muhammad series. Uh, Kalafiate Mar Muhammad is the... Black trans witch star of that that takes place in DC at the same time as the other series takes place in Baltimore. If you want a book of fiction that is that is epic and expansive, and if you like things like Mist of Avalon, then you'd love Yamaya's Daughters. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and can folks book you? Oh, please you, book me, honey. Like, visit? I'm, I'm just thinking about, yeah I, yeah, I was thinking that maybe we have folks who are affiliated with universities and colleges. And so, yes. Yes, please book me. Um, book me, book me, book me, book me, book me. Um, you can book me um, by sending a uh, email to 
ladydanefe at gmail.com with an inquiry with my rates. Um, Also, you know, if you want to like have people, uh, Jay Mesa III and I also travel together a lot as well. If you want to um, have the Black Trans Prayer Book booked at this moment until the book comes out. and so, yes, you know, reach out. I am always open to uh, performing at universities, to um, keynoting, doing lectures, um, offering my expertise. Um, I, you know, I'm also an actress and a singer and a dancer and a choreographer. So, uh, <laughs> you know, you could book me to talk about things as well, right? Um, yeah, um, and also history and, and to do racial equity and, and gender justice and... Um, other types of work around dismantling white supremacist systems. Yes, book because um, I have to eat too. <laughs> okay, she got to pay rent and she got to um, eat and she got. <laughs> so yes, you know, you know, book me, book me, book me, um, um, book me, and then people can also hire me as a consultant as well for their businesses, for their corporations, and things like that as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, we'll stick all that information too in the show notes, um, so folks can have direct links and check it out. But um, awesome! Um, this was really great. <laughs> I really enjoyed um, listening to you talk about this work and and so many other things. Um, and I'm excited actually for the trans prayer book because I also interviewed Jay Mace. So um, excited for that. Um, but yeah, last of all, thank you so much for being on the show today. Um, it's been really great. Thank you. Thank you. I really, I really, really appreciate it. Um, yeah, it's so funny because like, um, I totally forgot to talk about like when I was like talking about booking and what I do, I'm also a priestess too. So a lot of, you know, a lot of work that, um, Mason and uh, Jay Mason III and I do together is, is around re- theology work as well. So that's another thing people can book before, <laughs> but, but thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. It was a, it was a pleasure.